Dead Triathlon Show 367. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Erin Carson. Erin is a strength coach working with a number of the world's best short and long course triathletes, and in the recent Ironman 7.3 World Championships, uh, she had uh, her athletes sweep the women's podium. So that was Taylor Nib, Paula Findlay, and Emma Pellant Brown, who all work with Erin uh, for their strength work. In this interview, we discuss what the strength training of these athletes looks like, and we also discuss strength training from the perspective of age group triathletes. Long-time listeners may already know Erin from when she was first on that triathlon show back in episode 137, but that being 230-something episodes ago, uh, I think it's uh, we were well due for a repeat on the show, and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Erin and hearing more about her expertise in strength training. Before we get into the interview, I want to give a quick reminder about the That Triathlon Show survey that I'm currently running. You can find the link in the show notes in the episode description on your podcast app or directly on scientifictriathlon.com, and the goal of this survey is to help me improve the podcast and take it in the direction that the listeners desire, so it really is a chance for you to directly influence where the podcast will be going in the future and i would love to get the feedback from you and from as many listeners as possible now uh, finally big thanks to our sponsors roca roca produce exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles performance sunglasses and prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses if you want to go faster in the water look to roca's range of wetsuits from the entry level to the top of the line wetsuits all of them come with arms up technology and exceptional quality and comfort in the water roca's trisuits work perfectly together with the wetsuits as they too come with arms technology to really maximize your shoulder mobility for the swim and on the bike and run they are optimized for aerodynamics and comfort roca's range of sunglasses and prescription glasses is also packed with innovation with patented, patented technologies such as the geeko and the slip technology they are ultra light and have excellent optical properties visit roca.com forward slash tts for 20 percent off your order and thank you to senate the senate indoor swim trainer is a unique dryland swim trainer that allows you to improve your technique power and swim training consistency it is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work including working on your catch and your core activation and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool you can even use it to do activation work before a pool or open water swim or to do swim bike brick workouts more easily you can try the Zen 8 risk-free for up to 30 days, and if you don't love it, just send it back. And you can get a special Dead Triathlon Show bundle that includes the swim bench and a bunch of Zen 8 training plans and on-demand workouts on zen8swimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's my interview with Erin Carson. Welcome back to Dead Triathlon Show, Erin. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. It's been uh, quite a while since we talked. I actually don't remember exactly. Was it in 2020, perhaps, that we that we last spoke? But uh, we have lots of new listeners. So let's start with an introduction. Uh, tell us more about who you are. Uh, my name is Erin Carson. I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist. We can call that a strength coach. Um, I'm kind of skewing a little bit towards health and human performance specialist because the name strength coach might not be all encompassing of the things that are important to me when it comes to athlete performance and human performance. So I live in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, I'm one of the owners of a wonderful health club and training facility called rally sport. 
And uh, I've been working with some of the top triathletes and runners and cyclists in the world for about 10 years. And you're also a triathlete yourself. Are you, are you still racing or? I am. I have found, I, I've been to two world championships in 70.3. I've been to both Malulaba and Nice. Nice was my last um, last world championship. And then uh, I broke my ankle this summer and really focused on cycling and, and just digging in on that kind of stuff. But uh, you learn a lot when you get injured. So I'm, I'm a former basketball player, international basketball player, fl- played for the Canadian national team, division one basketball at the University of Colorado. And, um, but now I am just all in on, on performance. And for my future for 2023, um, my goal really is to help my athletes, uh, win world championships, qualify for Olympic games. Um, I'm going all in on them. So I'm going to stay fit and healthy, but I'm not going to race in 2023. We got too much work to do. All right. Well, let's dig into that then. Uh, some of the athletes you work with, uh, include, Taylor Nib, Paula Findlay, and Emma Pallant Brown, and I'm going to have questions about them because they all have placed on the podium in certain three words. So that's exciting. Uh, are there any other athletes that the listeners will know that that you're also working with that uh, that would be interesting to hear? I think uh, where it all began for me was with uh, Marinda Carfrey and Timothy O'Donnell. So that's they have taught me a, t- a lot. I have taught them a lot. Um, we've been together for a decade, and I'm so proud of their careers and uh, absent of having children and falling off of sidewalks and having heart attacks. Um, we have been really physically orthopedically healthy for 10 years. And I, that really added a lot of validation to the approach that I was taking with endurance athletes. And I think it, it's an important part of my story because when people like Timothy and Rini are working with somebody, young athletes might have, it it adds a little bit of street credibility to, to the work that we do together. So those are, those are two of my favorites and, and I'm still working with them. I hope to work with them for probably the rest of their careers and hopefully the rest of their lives. Um, I also work with Rudy Von Berg. Uh, Rudy and I have been working together for about two years, uh, just trying to keep him healthy and just keep elevating his game. He's struggled a little bit with some illness Um, Morgan Pearson, um, who we're hoping to get to uh, Paris in 2024, uh, a top short course athlete here in the United States. Um, if I'm forgetting anybody, uh, I apologize, but <laughs> I, I, I'm those are those are the ones that are coming at the top of my head right now. So yeah, I, they keep me pretty busy. Yeah, yeah, of course. So since you mentioned they're keeping uh, Rini and, and Tim O'Donnell healthy for 10 years, uh, if if you summarize it, give an overview of uh, your approach, uh, how to do that, uh, your elevator pitch, so to say, about your, your training philosophy when it comes to the strength and conditioning part, what, what, what is it? I think the most important thing with Tim and Rene, it really began, it begins with the athlete understanding and knowing their bodies and knowing when those bodies need time to recover and rest. My approach with them has always been to start from the inside out. So we've started with a lot. We do a lot of breath work. We do a lot of mobility and movement. We do, we use foundation training to add tension back into a very mobile and system. And then we add strength on top of that. I think there's a little bit of a misconception around strength training that the more you lift and the more time you spend becoming a stronger athlete that might equate to speed. And I can say that, uh, 
for the most part. We might need, in some cases, to add some strength to build speed. But for the most part, my, my goal with these athletes is to keep them incredibly healthy and balanced and rely on their coaches to build the speed and get them stronger it, so that there's no niggles that get in the way of their progression. And so with Tim and Rennie, sometimes they'll come into the gym and I'll have one idea of what we should do. And they'll say, I don't think that's what we should do. And I don't fight them on that. I listen and respect that. And we communicate really well around um, those decisions. So a lot of times if the coaches, the sport coach is pushing them hard, Julie Dibbins is a wonderful coach. I know she pushes her athletes hard and, and appropriately hard. Um, and so I, I, I dance with that a little bit. I dance with sport coaches. So I know yeah. we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So We will, yeah. Uh, let's dig into some details here around Taylor, Poole, and Emma specifically. Uh, when and how did you start working with, with them? Uh, each one of them have some Boulder roots. So they, they come to Boulder. Uh, they know that Tim and Rennie are working with me. They, they're, they're curious about that. Um, starting with Paula, Paula was probably my first, the first connection that I, that I worked with Paula when she was, uh, here working with Siri Lindley, um, Siri squad was working out of rally sport. Paula came to us from Canada, um, not healthy, quite injured. And um, we started working together really consistently. And before you, you know, not before you know it, she was healthy. Um, we had a process to bring her into a, a place of balance and health and strength. And um, we were able to get her racing again. Um, then she she left Siri and went on. I think she's been working with Paolo for quite a while now. And yeah. he's uh, he's her coach. And the, the irony is I've, I've really never talked to Paolo um, because Paula is a mature, older athlete. She knows her body really well. I'm able to communicate with Paula very clearly. And my goal, although I have never met him, is to just help Paolo look like an amazing, the amazing coach that he is and who he is because he has such a good track record. So if I can keep Paula Finley healthy um, and getting stronger, she will only shine brighter. So Paula was first for me in her early 20s. Um, so that was almost a decade ago as well. Um, and now we're back much more consistently. There was a time when we kind of fell apart a little bit when she was in San Diego and then had moved to Bend. And now we're back together for this will be our third consistent year of getting her healthy and keeping her that way. Mm. So we'll talk. Yeah. We, I know we can talk about some specific strategies with Paula, but yeah, um, that's about, my story with what about Taylor? Taylor, Taylor um, had been coming to Boulder, working with Neil Henderson, uh, a wonderful coach from here in Boulder. That's how I met Taylor. Um, Neil handed Taylor off to me to do some foundation training, some strength work um, when she was just starting at Cornell. And so just a late teenager. And we started together uh, when she was uh, working towards the under 23 and she was a junior. Um, and moving forward from there. Uh, Taylor is now with Ian O'Brien. I think she's in incredibly good hands um, as, as shown by her performances um, in the last couple of years. Um, so I've been working with Taylor remotely as she was at Cornell. Um, her coaches there took a, a lot of the lead. And then when she graduated, I took more of the full-time role uh, as her strength coach and, and development from that. And as a matter of fact, um, as we, as we, at, this 
day today is uh, two days before the grand final in Abu Dhabi. So I saw her this morning via Zoom um, to make sure she traveled well and made sure her body uh, is is responding well to her uh, across the globe. So it's, it's kind of fun with technology, what it's taught us. So I see Taylor in person two or three times a week here in Boulder. Yeah. And uh, finally, Emma. Emma, I actually met Emma's husband, Jared, before I met Emma. So uh, I've been working with Jared for quite a few years. Uh, he, he was pursuing professional uh, triathlon himself. And I was working with Jared as he would come to Boulder every year. And then Jared and Emma fell in love, and there's a beautiful story. <laughs> and uh, he introduced me to Emma. Emma's a great story, and I love being part of her world. Um, she lives in South Africa. She is a runner uh, who turned into a very, very world-class triathlete. But but her mindset, um, I probably have the, the furthest tether with Emma. Um, Emma knows her body really, really well. And um, I am full-on consultant for her when it comes to heavier loading strategies. But Emma really embraces a lot of the mobility work that I do um, and the activation on a lower level. When she is in Boulder, we work together and I do everything I can do to get her under load. But let's be honest, she she's doing wonderful as, uh, as a performance. Uh, her performances are amazing. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from her, but I would like her to lift more weights and she knows it. So I think as the years go forward, um, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can to just make sure she continues to, to rank well in the PTOs and that she makes sure that her training is good. But she also has an amazing coach in Tim Don. Um, Tim has spent a lot of time at Boulder. So Tim knows me really well. And I know Tim really well, but his coaching with Emma has been right on point and, uh, so yeah, they they're doing great work, and I compliment it um, from afar uh, as much as as much as Emma needs and wants. But we definitely connect weekly. So yeah, and uh, that leads me to then when you have uh, well Emma in South Africa most of the time, and and you have Paula is in in Oregon, I believe most of the time, and Taylor might come in and see you two three times a week, but uh, but that's not going to be the case for for Paula and Emma. So so how how do you work with them? Is it more program based, or is it program plus a call every week, or do you actually have in person Zoom sessions where you take them through the movements? What what does that look like? Uh, we'll do in person Zoom uh, once a week. I'll do a little bit less with Emma, but I'm I'm with Paula and Eric, her partner. I train Eric as well, so we'll come together. Um, on Zoom and train in person via Zoom, which thank God for the pandemic. I didn't even know what Zoom was before that. So we can do that. We do that weekly with Paula and then I will schedule her second uh, or third or and third, depending on the phase that we're in, but uh, via uh, two apps that I developed. So I have a long video format application that uh, you, it's actually me coaching the session and athletes can go through that session, um, using long video format, or I have a short video format, which is just snippets and demonstrations of each exercise. It's kind of a list that has some, some video to it. Um, and both of those are, are unique to EC fit and, uh, have given me the opportunity to work with athletes all over the world. So zoom is one layer that's very personal the long video format gives a lot of coaching and information. And the third format is one, once we get comfortable, the short video format would be my customized uh, program for people. Cause I can, 
uh, switch it really quickly for people, pull an exercise, add an exercise or a movement um, with ease. So yeah. three different ways of doing it. But even having worked with them for a long time, you still find it valuable to once per week have a uh, have a Zoom session where you can actually watch them perform the the movements and give feedback. Is that the main or one of the main reasons that you that you do that? There is no greater uh, communication than seeing someone in person. So I just started with a new athlete, um, Imogene Simmons. Um, she has been in Geneva. I trained her in Geneva on the zoom and she's like, okay, now I'm going to be somewhere else. And I'm so I've seen her in three different global locations in the last three weeks. And I'm just, we are just getting started together. And so that will be very interesting because, uh, I want to see her for the first few weeks. I don't feel comfortable giving her movements without me seeing how she's responding to them. Even the facial expression, because, Triathletes are very good athletes for the most part. Um, and so they can do almost anything I ask them to do, but it might not be comfortable. So quality of movement and how they move, they can show me things in their face when they're like, whoa, what is that? Like they'll, they'll look to the side and they'll, they'll look like wince a little bit if it's uncomfortable, but they'll do it. You know, they're very, for the most part, most of the people I work with are very coachable. So if I say stand on one foot and reach forward with your left arm and rotate, they'll do it. But I, if I can see their face, I can see if they do it easily or if they're challenged by it. So tissue is, is an interesting animal, but there's nothing better than being in person because I can walk around and see 360 degrees, how that athlete accepts the load or accepts the challenge. And so person's the best but yeah it's not always possible yeah no but zoom does a decent job at least so that's um yeah that's great um let's dive into the the programming that uh that um taylor and paula and emma had for the entire year basically leading into uh, the podium performances in saint george so so if you give an overview of of the year if you had a some kind of periodization there and then we can dive a bit deeper into the the last a couple of months maybe before the race um yeah you can start in whichever end you want with with that question uh let's start you know each each of the athletes are very unique so when you're when you're not with somebody you can take that shotgun approach where it's like this is a general phase of training this is this is going to help 90% of triathletes and I definitely have that kind of protocol. All of my pros use a very general protocol of movement and movement quality. They understand hip internal rotation. They, they understand ankle mobility. They, they understand a concept of anchoring. There are some big global uh, concepts that we all meet in the middle. If any one of those concepts goes awry, we have to get it back before we start adding in complexity into the programming. So those anchors for us is ankle mobility, hip mobility, thoracic spine mobility. Each one of those athletes um, had different physical challenges throughout the year, except Emma. Emma was quite healthy all year. Um, so Emma pretty much stuck to the strength program that she does actually with peak team. And they have a great, I'll give them a shout out because on YouTube, Emma does a live program uh, every Wednesday morning on, on YouTube 
uh, under peak team. And then she'll do my Monday mobility on YouTube under uh, uh, EC fit strength. So she does a lot of mobility. She'll do lighter loads um, and keep that going. And she was quite healthy all year. Uh, Paula had a little bit of a, a niggle and, and I'll let them kind of talk about what the niggle was, but um, we had to work around and with um, different, different strategies to unload and help bring balance into Paula's body. Um, same thing happened with Taylor. Um, I, I think I can just delve off into the, into the stratosphere of short course racing because Short course racing presents a whole different challenge with athletes' bodies. And this year in particular with Super League and with some of the sprint distance triathletes, someone like Taylor who has to go uh, sprinting into a short, uh, what do they call that? It's a sprint. (laughs) It's a sprint distance triathlon versus an Olympic distance triathlon versus a PTO distance versus a 70.3. That is huge range. And I think that's very difficult on a body. And so... I think uh, I know that everybody knows that Taylor was out a little bit early in the season. And I think it was because just trying to bring that speed up to that short, short course, super short course um, took its toll on her body. She wasn't quite physically ready for it. Um, So we dealt with that and just kept building strength around uh, that, that little niggle that, that she had to deal with. And I think that lack of racing and the ability to focus on her health and her full body balance served her and has served her so well in the fall. And I think that same thing happened with Paula, you know, the same thing we saw with Lucy Charles who coming off of Kona um, she's not my athlete, but all the work that she was doing at uh, the Red Bull center and that she shared on her YouTube channel was, was beautiful that she was so generous to share that with the world that like stop deadlifting until you can walk on your toes and work through your ankles. And there's little muscles that matter. And so her, her reach and influence, hopefully people took note of that because she also had a very, very good Kona. And I would give her all due respect to come back three or four weeks, three weeks later and, and race 70.3 worlds. So I think each one of those really high, the whole podium, at the women's race in uh, St. George, I think was dealing with different challenges throughout the year. And it's a long year for those guys. So keeping them healthy and balanced is the most important thing. So that each one of them had very specific uh, things that we worked on in the summer to get them ready for the fall. Yeah. Obviously it went when an athlete is is healthy and uh, training and racing as normal, the one of the objectives of the uh, conditioning program, strength and conditioning, is to to keep them healthy. But but you never like it's it can be difficult, I assume, to to really know okay what is the what is the part that is going to break down, for example, when you introduce more speed in preparation for a super league race or whatever it might be, like you you can you can you can guess but but you can't really know and then and then it, it might happen so so when it happens taylor hasn't spoken really about the injury so we don't have to go into what the injury was i'm not going to ask you but but do you then try to like really build up whatever tissue it is that took the damage a bit like more like focus really specifically on that or is it more of a you maintain a more holistic perspective throughout uh, that rehabilitation process I would say very comfortably that in my experience, most of the time where there's a breakdown of tissue, um, that, that isn't the problem. 
it's further up the kinetic chain. So where there's potentially a knee problem, uh, I wouldn't blame the knee. I would usually blame the ankle or the foot or the hip. Uh, I might even blame the thoracic spine and the lack of movement and rotation through the, through the spine. So when I first start working with an athlete, a high performance athlete, or, a, or even an age grouper, um, I want to see how, how their thoracic spine, their hips, and their ankles are moving. You know, there's so much talk about glute activation and the power of the glute that, that uh, very few people have the appropriate hip function and pelvic rotation and function um, to, to really take on most of the speed that they're able to produce. And that's when either low back pain starts happening or hip pain starts happening. We saw it this weekend with, with Sam Long in, in uh, Ironman Arizona. Um, those are some predictable patterns that the sport does produce. Um, tight hip flexors, lack of ankle mobility, lack of thoracic spine mobility. Um, th- you can mobilize them till the cows come home. And if you don't strengthen them, it won't stay. So it's really important to find the, the, get the body moving well. And then we will, the, we will seek to unload the tissue that was probably overloaded and uh, it was probably overloaded because of compensation from a pretty high performing athlete. So, so do you see a trend in the athletes are more often like the, the culprit, the root cause is a mobility issue in one of the joints or strength of a certain tissue upstream, uh, or is it equally distributed between the two? <laughs> yes. Yes. The answer is yes. So, so yeah, because I'm not a yoga person because, and I'm not, you know, some people do really, really well with yoga. So I want to all due respect to that, but yoga is passive mobility. It's, it's, it's ranges of motion that might not be useful. I, I use foundation training for mobility because it is active mobility. So the nervous system is upregulated into the movement and we create challenges around a joint to make the, we would maybe use the words agonist and antagonist muscle groups to come together. So like we would, the adductors, the inner thigh muscle, they should work really well and be very good friends with the abductors, the glute meat on the outside of the hip. And that's a big one that I can usually make a pretty good change very quickly. Adductors are very typically tight. And if the adductor group is tight on the bicycle, they will actually start acting like a hip flexor. So there's a big muscle in the adductor group called the adductor magnus. And magnus has anterior fibers and posterior fibers. And the anterior fibers do one thing and the posterior fibers do another. And when you lay in arrow position for a long time, that anterior fibers of Magnus start acting like a hip flexor, but he's not a hip flexor. He's, he's supposed to stabilize the hip so that the, we can have nice hip extension when running. Um, another good friend of mine, Lawrence Van Lang and Lawrence is a wonderful uh, body worker and, and thinker around movement. And he does videos of all of the guys or, and females coming out in the first mile of Kona And he looks at hip extension. The only thing he was looking at when they start running that first mile, who has hip extension and who doesn't. And then we have to look back and see why don't they have hip extension? 
And how could we potentially help that? So if you watch Timothy O'Donnell run out of T2 on running out in the out and back on Ali'i before they head out onto the Queen K, we know T.O. is going to have a good day if he has hip extension in that first mile. That means we set him up really well on the bike. And I say we because he has a team. It's not just me. Um, Same thing with Rini. Nothing makes me feel better than to see that athlete get off the bike, have hip extension, and just rip it out of T2. And I saw that with Taylor in uh, St. George. Uh, I was blown away. And I was actually working as a uh, a volunteer out on the course in St. George. And I saw Paula. I did not see, Emma was not in the group at the time. So I saw Paula, Flora, and Lucy Charles. So you've got Paula, the gold medal winner from Tokyo, and the world champion from last year running in together. And I was, I looked at the people and they were just heading out on a, an out and back and Paula had hip extension and was moving through her thoracic spine. The other two weren't. And I was like, when they come back from that out and back, Paula will have, have a gap. And they were, everybody was like, why? And I was like, cause she's moving so much better than everybody else. And sure enough, when she came back, she had put that gap into those two. And that was huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I completely agree. I, I don't know. I, I, I can't say that it was that I saw that she had hip extension, but, but I, I just saw the, those three running and I, I had a feeling that, yeah, that was Paula's day. Uh, it was, it was hers to, to lose. She just looked better to intuitively to me than, than the other two, just also facial expressions, I think. But, um, yeah, she definitely, you could tell that she had, she had confidence in her body and, and that she would be able to have a good run from the start. And uh, that's, of course, um, yeah, credit to all the work that uh, that you and the rest of her team had done. Um, a couple of other questions about the, yeah, the strength and conditioning of these athletes. You mentioned three sessions per week. Is that more or less what they normally would do? I would say, I would comfortably say they're coming to the gym three times a week, but I would say the sessions are two and a half. So there's going to be two full sessions. And for me, that's 30 to 45 minutes. That's not an hour. I don't know where in, in the history of strength and conditioning, we decided everyone needed to do an hour, but my kids don't because they train so much. Um, so that's that third session is usually negotiable. It's always, there's mobility every day. There's tissue release every day. Um, there are times when the athlete is, is just fatigued. I mean, they have great coaches and those coaches, their job is to bring out the best in those athletes. And that means walking a line of, of fatigue and performance and the ability of those kids to, to get the work done. So I, I am sometimes the biggest advocate for recovery and rest, um, almost to a fault, because their natural mindset is to work. They want to work. They want to outwork. You know, it's like, there used to be a saying that I used when I was playing basketball. It's like, look around you and, you know, I will outwork every one of you and I will beat you on that day when we meet, you know, and now I think we know more. I think we now know, okay, you're going to go work. I'm going to go meditate and rest and get in my Normatex. And I will probably beat you because you didn't jump in your Normatex. So I think that, um, the training load is such that it's important that the kids have uh, a very, very good intuition and understanding of when they need rest. And so for me, 
two sessions is somewhat non-negotiable, but how those sessions and how hard those sessions are um, is totally negotiable. So we've got to get the work done because these kids have dreams. These athletes have dreams and we need them to, to realize those dreams and find their best. So some days we got to push and knowing, knowing your athlete is probably really important too. Mm. Cause some days we should listen to them and some days we shouldn't. Yeah. So what would then when, when they're in the thick of the racing season, um, in during summer, uh, during preparation for big races, uh, what would, but we're assuming that they, they're not too tired. Uh, nothing, no, nothing crazy is going on. There's not a race on that particular week. And what would a typical 45-minute session look like? Typical 45-minute session um, will always start with some movement, um, mobility that is geared towards undoing some of the tightness that naturally comes from swim, bike, run. So tight pecs, tight hips, tight ankles. So we'll move and we'll look for a high quality of, of movement. We want that really softness in their movement. We want flow. Um, if we don't see that, if I don't see that, we'll take more time for that mobility. We'll take more time for tissue care. Some athletes enjoy foam rolling. Some don't. Some athletes like the massage gun. Some don't. So I'm not partial to anything. We just kind of give each athlete the opportunity to experience each modality that we would use for tissue care and then hope that they really resonate with one. So whenever I come in, I don't direct the first five or six minutes of the session. I just kind of see what the athlete chooses because it's interesting. Some of them are so set in their ways that they'll choose the same thing every time, even if they don't have the intuition yet to say, mm, I don't need to do that. Like I'm looking to see, does the athlete come in and always go, Oh, I'm going to foam roll my lower leg. Now I'm going to foam roll my hips. Now I'm going to foam roll my upper back. That athlete is very regimented. And I might guide that athlete a little bit more and try and uh, throw some curveballs at him and say, don't do that today. Do this first. And it freaks them out to do something else first. Um, I've had a couple of those in the past. Um, don't have any of those right now. And usually an athlete will show me exactly where they need more motion because if they come in and stick that foam roller in their armpit and lay sideways on it, I would say that their thoracic spine is, is feeling tight. They're seeking more motion there. Um, and they didn't say, I think I'm not moving well. They just intuitively went there. Um, if they sit on the foam roller and put their right foot on their left knee and just start moving through their hips, I know that they've been working their butt off then <laughs> their hips need to maybe be open a little bit more. So I will really watch that first five or 10 minutes to see where I think the session needs to go in addition to whatever I got planned. But the most important thing is mobility first, then we'll do some light loading to enhance mobility and bring up that motor unit recruitment and just, just make sure everybody's in the game. And as I describe movement and what, loading, what does, what does light loading mean? Uh, I might use a 10 pound weight that has no representation of percentage of one rep max. It has no reason other than it's 10 pounds. And when you reach that across to your knee, it's going to give you a little bit more inertia to open up some more tissue. Um, I typically don't look at muscle. I look at movement. I train the fascial system and the connective tissue. And I, I see the muscles within these little bundles of fascia. So in, as, instead of training the quads, I'm training the whole lower body. And 
instead of training the hamstrings, I'm training the whole back line of the body. So a lot of that learning from me came from a, a book called uh, Anatomy Trains, written by a, a gentleman named Thomas Myers. And uh, in Boulder, we have the Structural Integration Institute in Rolfing. And when people get stuck in movement, the fascial system typically and the nervous system shuts that movement down. And those people are so beautifully trained to enhance movement by working with the fascial system. And uh, that's, we've been very fortunate to have time to learn from, from Thomas Myers and understand movement and how we can strengthen movement and build trust with the nervous system so that the body can actually move better. So there's lots of layers um, to, to how I approach uh, performance and strength and conditioning. But that part with the light loading, it's it's uh, some sort. It's dynamic, dynamic movements yep. designed to just yeah facilitate better enhance movement. movement. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, Absolutely. And then what's the next part? And then we're going to get under load with the muscles that might have become inhibited because of tightness. So if there's tightness, like that's why everybody loves to talk about glute function. So I definitely want upper back function, scapular stabilization. Um, glute function, ankle mobility. If the foot and ankle are not moving well, the glutes will not fire well. So we need to make sure the foot and ankle are moving well. We use a lot of balance boards. Um, uh, I think most of, some of your listeners might've heard of a MOBO board, um, M-O-B-O board. Um, one of our friends, uh, Jay Deshari invented that. Um, Jay wrote a book called Anatomy for Runners. Um, we have a nice community that supports each other. And the mobile board is a big part of the work that we do, which enhances big, the loading of the big toe and uh, how that plays to make sure an athlete is loading their big toe. It's really important. Hmm. And that just clicks on up the chain to make sure that uh, your body is stable and strong. Yeah. And, uh, and is that the end of the session or is there another part after that? Well, then we're going to get into strength and it's, that's the irony of it all, right? So you're a strength coach, but, that's the last thing you get to. <laughs> and so, but that, if, sorry, if, that, that previous part, you still want to do it under load. So you still use some weights, at least depending on yes. what the issues are. Okay. 100%. Yep. yep. So the heavier loading strategies definitely enhance uh, the hormonal profile of the athletes. And as the athletes get a little bit older and get into their thirties and maybe even into their forties, that heavier loading strategy becomes part of the hormonal profile. And I think as we know, endurance athletes sometimes might struggle with a hormonal profile that skews a little bit to lower testosterone. Um, and that, that it challenges the athlete's ability to recover. Um, it might challenge their mood. Um, it might challenge a lot of other things. So we look at using heavy load and building technique and skill with under heavier loads to ensure that our athletes can use some physical challenges to help all the systems of the body, mental, emotional uh, health as well. How, what, what would that part of the session look like? Do you have two, three, four exercises and you do yep. how many, how many sets of each and reps? So, so each athlete would, will, will resonate towards uh, two or three heavy lifts that we want those athletes to get very good at. The hex bar deadlift is is very accessible to a lot of people. It's it's very low risk. I'm very risk averse. So anytime you put an athlete under load, um, you're, you're putting them at risk. So you better make sure that they're in really good physical 
preparation for those lifts. Um, so most of my athletes are very good at the hex bar deadlift, and we can use that as one of their heavy lift. Some of them are more comfortable um, with a goblet front squat. So they're going to put the, the dumbbell or the kettlebell on the front side of their body. I only back squat one athlete. And uh, that's because she grew up back squatting and she does it very, very well. And I, I, I have back squatted actually Jeannie Seymour as well. But uh, Rinnie is a great back squatter. She's the only athlete that I back squat. But the, the spinal, the, 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 the uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say kyphosis, but spinal flexion that we experience on the bicycle. So that little bit of rounded spine. Um, and the tightness on the front side of the body sometimes will make it very difficult for an endurance athlete to get under a back squat. And I find that that puts that, that risk profile is just too high for me. So I am a front squatter through and through. Um, we can do an Olympic bar on the front side of the body, but there are some athletes that are very uncomfortable in that position. So we're going to deadlift. We're going to front squat. Um, we're going to do a lot of high pull down exercises, um, either a lap pull down or, or something similar. Um, a single arm shoulder press is something that, uh, we get under, but we very, very rarely will bilaterally, uh, press overhead. Um, just because why risk a shoulder that doesn't really help them as much. Um, so single arm presses allow you to rotate and elevate one shoulder or the rib cage if you want. Um, and bent over rows, heavy bent over rows, single, single leg, double leg, um, supported, unsupported. We do a lot of rowing. So each athlete has their three or four lifts that we, when we want to get them under load, it's low neural demand because they've become so good at it. So the neural challenge is, is low. I just say, we're going to row today, double arm, single arm, whatever it is. They're, they're not freaked out by it. They don't have to use much energy um, to, to get in, in there and do it. So when you select the, the different exercises, it might even be when you start working with the athlete, is it all about what exercises that they are fairly proficient at or comfortable with, or do you also have in mind any weaknesses that they might have in the, in terms of the sports, let's say somebody with a weaker swim might need something like a like a bent over row or something like that for whereas somebody who has a strong swim might focus more on lower body exercises it depends when i come to the athletes it based on their season so it's in the off season that's the time to that's the best opportunity to make those changes and if you look at um, what's happening in in triathlon in general the biggest opportunity to help an athlete get stronger will be on the bicycle And that means building lower body strength, core stability, core function, and upper body strength as well. So because they have to get off the bike and run. So you cannot ever get away with that um, from that thought process when it comes to triathlon. With cycling, you can. You, you know, I, I've worked with some tour riders and, and whatnot. The upper body for the, a tour rider is more about being able to stay down an arrow as long as possible for the most part. They, they can produce force into the pedals, but they don't have to get off the bike and run. And so when it comes to um, the off season, if there's an opportunity to build strength in the lower body as it, and relative strength in the upper body and the coach, the, the 
cycling or swim, bike, run coach takes it on themselves to really up the ask to become a different cyclist in the off season. Um, we will, we can work together on building, building that, but I have to stay out of the way a little bit too. Cause if there's a really, um, really technically strong, scientifically based coach that I'm working with, then they're going to want to take the lead on progressive overload. Um, and this is an important distinction for what I do um, in the off season. I get to do a little bit of progressive overload, but for 10 months of the year, for the most part, the coaches are doing the progressive overload and I'm keeping the athlete healthy and strong mm. and balanced. And the way we keep them strong is by keeping them balanced. Yeah. So um, that's important, but I do have some young athletes that I know if they want to be competitive, if they want to be in the PTO rankings in the top 50 or top 40, they have to build lower body strength to be able to produce the kind of Watts on the bike that are going to make them world-class. Yeah. Um, so when you have those 10 months, when you, when you, when you're not really doing progressive overload, what would the, the intensity or the weights of these weighted exercises look like? Um, if you, you can talk about it on an RPE scale or, uh, from like repetitions from maximum or however you want to describe it. On my, on my professional athletes, it'll be very individualized depending on where they are in their career, you know, as good as Taylor is Taylor Nib is on the bicycle. She still has, she's not one of my stronger athletes, you know, so we, we're going to take a long-term approach. She's only 24 years old, turns 25 in 2023. Um, we're going to just, you know, she's shining like bright, like a star right now uh, in, in the body she's in. And the, the potential for her is huge because, so I'm keeping her healthy as healthy as I can keep her. You know, Paula being around 30 years old there, um, as they get older into that 30, that decade into their 30s, the, the heavier weights will become more important um, throughout the entire year. Um, so not just in the off season, but also during those little breaks and even on the, not the down weeks, because most coaches will go build, build, build back or build, build back. They, you know, they have their art that they do. It doesn't mean because it's a back week, I'm going to all of a sudden jump in there and go, oh, yeah, let's let's load the crap out of the athlete. We, we, we can't do that. So we have to let the the hard days should be hard. The easy days should be easy. So with the pros, it's pretty targeted to who they are and what they need. With age groupers, we want to just take this long term approach because most of us are in the sport to be healthy and strong. And we like to see our placements within our age groups. That's what's beautiful about being an age grouper is like, am I in the top 20? Am I in the top 30? Am I in the top 50? And am I moving up as I get older? Um, those we want to take a long-term approach. And we would cycle probably three different periodized phases of strength. So we want to look at the out, how the year outlines, choose our A races, and then build the program for the year excuse me, around that. Um, so an age grouper should go heavy maybe three times a year and we would build that out from their A races. How, how would you build? Uh, first of all, three times a year, that's not three workouts a year. That's three blocks of training per year, <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. And, and how would they, can you explain how they would fall in relation to the races? I think usually most athletes, and this is very, you know, we're taking a shotgun approach here. I think most athletes would be really well served six to eight weeks out from a main 
uh, performance objective to be comfortably under heavier loads. And then as we go get closer to that race, um, that we would go more into a moderate phase. I use five phases and, you know, they, they definitely fall into very traditional strength and conditioning uh, nomenclature, but I've kind of adopted this thought process. So we've got, uh, it's all based on airline travel. So we've got our pre-flight workouts, which are all based on movement prep, glute activation, opening the body up. Pre-flight sessions are typically less than 20 minutes. And then once you get on the plane, the plane launches. So that first phase where we use lighter loads, um, we do mobility and we uh, just want to, uh, to keep the body balanced. I call that phase launch. The next phase where we do get under load and we do traditional strength training um, and some mobility is called climb. And so we're, we're trying to get up to, to cruising at uh, altitude. So we've got pre-flight, we've got launch, and we've got climb. And then, then there's cruising. And cruising, I don't do a lot of cruising, which is more of that high-intensity interval training and, and um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe CrossFit-ish kind of stuff. I, I have learned a lot from CrossFit, um, and I've stolen from it in high performance, but I do, it's not, I don't think it's a good combination to be a triathlete and a CrossFit athlete. I think that might be a little risky for me. And then the fifth category is uh, called the lounge. And in the lounge is where you have to rest in recovery. And I, I provide a lot of leadership on uh, active recovery strategies. So an athlete will call me and they'll say, I need this. And I'll say, well, just do a launch workout. And that's categorized the way I described it. And then now I might say, do a launch workout on Tuesday, do a climb workout on Thursday, and then let's do a recovery session on Saturday. And so we just kind of can, can communicate in a really easy way. And uh, each one of my, I've got a series of launch workouts and series of climb workouts that are very accessible for people around the world um, in long video format and short video format. So it's, I, I kind of learned that when people we're like, what are Tim and Rennie doing? And I was like, oh God. And I would write out this big Microsoft Word document and uh, it took me forever to do it. I was like, I forget, there's got to be a better way. And that's when the apps got developed. So, Yeah. Yeah. That, that's actually why I started the podcast because I, I was starting to write some blogs and, and I just couldn't finish an article because it just took me forever. So then I realized that talking is probably faster than, <laughs> than writing. Yeah. Um, and fun. Yes, exactly. Um, you mentioned that, that they do some mobility basically daily. Was was that right? Like, is, is that yes. 10, 10 minutes or so? Or how, how long would those sessions be? Yeah, it's like a little check-in. And so I call them uh, measuring sticks. It's like, how does that feel? So like when I go for a run, if, if I'm my shoes undone and I'm about three miles into the run, I do this little check-in. How hard is it for me to get down and tie my shoe? And it's like, whoa, that feels a little tight. <laughs> so it's a measuring stick. And I'm like, wow, I need to work on this. So when an athlete, um, like a, a wide squat, feet externally rotated just ever so slightly, and we might just use 10 fingertips to the ground and just do a full body squat. Was that easy? Was that hard? And if it was hard, then let's foam roll a little bit or let's do a little bit more squatting. And, and then we do a big overhead reach with two arms. And if that feels tight and I can't straighten my elbows and I can't elevate my chest and expand my rib cage, hmm, my thoracic spine might be a little tight. Here are some strategies to get, get that working well again. So we do a lot of uh, front foot elevated um, hip openers. 
where you put your foot up on either a countertop or a chair or something like that, just to see how the the hips, how tight the hips feel and opening the hip on the front side, the capsule on the front side. Um, A lot of little check-ins that might guide you to tell you uh, what you need that day. So not everybody needs the same thing. And if you go through these little checklists and it took three minutes and everybody thing felt good, then go to work, go run, you know? So um, learning to, to know your body, and be able to anticipate uh, a niggle or a tightness will in the long term really serve you well. So those check-ins, uh, that's why I do Monday mobility um, because everybody shows up on YouTube um, and they can just go through these uh, series of movements that I provide each week. And I'm like, Whoa, that's a little tight. Pay attention to it. Don't have to do anything drastic, but just don't let it get out of hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And um, any nutrition or fueling considerations for uh, the strength sessions? You know, the biggest thing is most most of the time I'm seeing the athletes after they've done the work swim, bike, run. So I love it when they walk in and they're nibbling on something. And I, and I encourage that. I'm like, make sure that it's with a banana or a bar or they've got something in a bottle. Um, that's usually what I will see. Um, most of the people that I, it's not my specialty to be a nutrition and hydration expert, boy, Pete, there's so many smart people doing that now. So, um, any age grouper has access to some of the smartest people in the world, um, for those things. So it should be something. Um, but I also can say where I would get involved a little bit is people, a lot of people think they have lower leg issues. They think they have calf tight calves and tight soleus and, and they might, but, a lot of times that's dehydration and they cannot solve that with just water. So a little bit of electrolyte is usually at the top of my list. I live in a very dry climate here in Colorado. Um, so most of us don't drink water unless there's, I mean, we're, we're drinking water, but we're trying to put electrolyte into the water a lot. And the lower leg being the furthest from the circulatory system is usually a first point of dehydrated tissue. And so there may be some tightness, which might show up as tightness and, and lack of mobility, but it's dehydrated tissue. So we'll be like, okay, sip, sip throughout the session, keep moving the tissue, move the tissue. And that's when tissue is most able to accept nutrition. You don't want it to get sticky and you don't want it to get not glidey. Um, massage therapist can tell sticky tissue. This is dehydrated tissue. I, I won't pretend to think that I could tell that apart, but I can see when there's not usually a lack of mobility there. So let's drink some more fluid <laughs> and, and move. Uh, and that will help hydrate the tissue. So dehydrated tissue is tissue that is vulnerable. We don't, we, we want to make sure that our athletes are not vulnerable. Mm, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And uh, do you use any kind of technology in in the sessions, or or even after the sessions, or something related to, or before related to recovery? There are all sorts of things now, like uh, neuromuscular readiness and and things like that. But of course, there there's also velocity based training, and yeah, uh, and is that something that you use at all? No, I probably am a little bit more into the woo woo of how it feels. Um, there's so much technology for swim, bike, run. There's form goggles. Now you can tell if you're going faster, slower, what your stroke rate is. There's so much technology with cycling. 
Same thing with running. We have power with running now. When it comes to my stuff and the way I approach it, um, I think what I will see in the future, maybe with some of my short course kids, as I start to elevate and using short, having short course kids is um, sprint, sprint timing. Um, and maybe a little bit of force plate when it comes to um, both jumping and the ability to produce force. Um, but I'm not, I want to feel the human being within the athlete because it's endurance athletes work so hard at the sport. The strength program should complement that. It shouldn't beat the athlete up and they should like it. Um, Morgan Pearson, uh, it will forever be a great story for me. Morgan came to me with a little bit of a hamstring issue. He's been injured most of the year. He will race this weekend in Abu Dhabi and we're just hoping for a really good day for him. Um, but he came and he goes and just, and he didn't, he's like, I don't like coming to the gym. And after the first three weeks, I was, he kept coming and he kept coming and I'm like, are you liking this yet? And he's like, okay, yes, I like it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Cause the, the consistency, you, you have to fall in love with strength training a little bit to be not only one of the best in the world. Now, I think that's the way you're going to stay healthy or that's the way you're going to keep up with the Norwegians. I mean, we haven't even talked about the what's happening to our sport because of Norway. Blame Norway. Even you know, though those guys, enough, they do no strength training. <laughs> they said they're, but you know, that's so funny because they take in Daniela Reef and, and, and Brett Sutton, they, that he, he says the same thing, but yet you see Daniela every now and then you can catch a video of her using a band, you know? Well, I would argue that they do do strength training. They do do something. And they also just did it, the ritual podcast and they admitted that they were the ones that lasted when they were young. You know, a lot of kids got injured yeah. trying to train with Gustav and, and, and uh, not Mikhail, uh, Gustav and Christian. So I, I don't think that people are not going to strength train, but I think that's part of the conversation. It's like, well, those guys don't. So why should I? Well, those are the two that got left out of the whole herd. You know, those are the two very special athletes. The same thing with Daniela Reef. I know just enough about how hard Brett Sutton trains people. You know, she was, she could handle the training and not only physically, but mentally and emotionally, she could handle the training and her body didn't break down, but most, most bodies will. So I think that, um, I think you have to like it. You have to enjoy the process. It has to be accessible. It can't, it, it, the, the work in the gym cannot take away from the training. It, it can't, you know, you put an athlete on a trainer who's trying to do threshold efforts and give them a sore quad. They're not going to want to come back to you. So my goal is that I'm very quietly behind the scenes, um, providing them with a platform that they can safely work really, really hard at their sport and not feel compromised from the gym. So that's the dance and that's the art. Yeah, uh, no, that's a great answer. And, and I 100% agree that uh, just because something works for somebody doesn't mean that it works for everybody else. And there's all, all sorts of survivorship biases and, and other stuff that we could talk about in, in that regard. But um, yeah, I, and yeah, well, every, everybody is different and there might be different paths that work for the same person or from for different people. But um, yeah, you just have to try to 
uh, figure out what works the best for you. And um, yeah, that that brings us to some a, a section of more general questions, I guess, uh, moving away a bit from the training of Taylor Pool and Emma. So I want to ask about form when uh, when doing lifts and and other exercises for that matter. Uh, how we I think we we all understand that it's important, but how does one go about um, becoming better, more proficient at these movements? To me, the most important movement anyone can achieve is a good hip hinge. You should not, if you, if you cannot hinge at your hips, um, your spine is at risk. As soon as you put your spine at risk, you're, you're in big, big trouble. So hip hinging and your ability to push your hips back and load your glutes and have the posterior chain and the backside of the body and the back line work cohesively um, is really, really important. I've had athletes who do not want to work with me because I will not put them under load until they can control their spine angle, um, and hip hinge really well. So, and some athletes learn that in two sessions, they're fine. They're then some athletes just that movement pattern is hard for them. So it might take months to get them, uh, under big load. They will still deadlift. They will still front squat but they won't do it with really heavy weight until they can control that hip hinge until they can show the timing that's needed. Um, and, and I can, I can, I think I do a pretty good job of selling the long, long-term benefit, but also the long-term commitment that it might be, I mean, Tim O'Donnell did not go under load for 10 months. Rinny went under load in two because you know, not only are their bodies so different, but T.O.'s got these big, long arms, huge wins, wingspan. He's a swimmer. He didn't play basketball like she did. So his, I mean, watching Tim play basketball is not pretty. <laughs> it's just not. But watching Rennie play basketball and and move around is is really compact and, and brilliant. So 10 months and two months, and that's knowing your your overall experience as uh, in the weight room is important and feeling safe not and feeling patient. So long-term approach, be patient. Um, I do believe, I mean, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist in the United States. CSCS is the, is the credential of distinction for strength lifting weights. Um, so I'm very well trained and we're very well versed in appropriate form for lifting. Um, when it comes to performance and high performance athletes, the understanding that putting them under more, more load won't accelerate their, their way up the PTO rankings. It just won't, it might actually do the exact opposite. So I'm going to always preach a long-term, long-term approach, be patient, trust the process. We've heard probably many coaches say that. Can is it Tr- Trust the process, love the journey. <laughs> is it something that, that you can learn on your own by, I don't know, filming yourself, comparing to YouTube videos, or or do you really want to go and see um, see a strength and conditioning specialist and get some get some help with with that if if you haven't mastered a hip hinge? I think if most people are, I think if most people are, uh, most people, most of our audience are athletes. I think I think there is a lot of good information available out there online on YouTube. Um, you know, follow me at EC, EC fit strength. I'm always going to, I work daily on hip hinging, um, through mobility and through breath work and through counterbalanced movements that activate and load the hips. I mean, if you, you look at the, what do they call it? The minimum effective minimal dosage, you know, yep. we really do 
want to get as much work as possible with as little work as possible. So if we could have great outcomes, great performance outcomes with very little work, wouldn't we choose that? Shouldn't we choose that? And so it's kind of, that's why, you know, I, I would challenge people. Are you getting better? Yes. Okay. Just sit with it. You're getting better. Like you don't need to go start heavy deadlifting and thinking you're going to get better faster. This is a tissue takes time to adapt. The cardiovascular system takes time to adapt. You know, people, people, inpatient people usually pay a price in time away from the sport because they're dealing with an injury. And uh, can you give any examples of exercises that, uh, that you would really not recommend doing? For example, you mentioned uh, there that uh, a lot of your athletes use, they do hex bar deadlifts rather than straight bar deadlifts. So, so that's something that I was thinking about as well that you might recommend. Is there anything else that general sweeping well, recommendations for exercises to avoid or equipment to avoid? I, I think that the, the hex bar is more accessible than a straight bar because of where you can put your hands. So the mechanical loading is actually just a little bit less risky. But if you can do a straight bar deadlift and you're comfortable pushing into the ground with a bar, I, I love that exercise. Um, moving load for speed um, is something that's very CrossFit-esque, um, doing snatches and cleans um, with under time constraints. Um, I find that to be incredibly risky and I would not do that. I think that those are great exercises, but they do not serve endurance sports well. Um, I, other than that, you know, everything in, in dosages and everything with experience, and if it's working for you, it's probably not a bad choice, but you have to rec be recognizing when it's working against you as well. So I, I can find, I just don't like moving things fast unless there's really a high level of proficiency and you can really um, justify why it's moving fast. Yeah. How would you uh, incorporate strength training into the time budget that most age groupers have? Or, well, that's varying a lot, so, so of course. So does it depend, do you scale it based on athletes that have 15 hours versus 10 hours versus five hours to train? I, I really believe in 20 to 40 minutes of strength work, two to two and a half times a week, two to three times a week. And um, an athlete that cannot make that kind of time for my programming, um, if they're doing great and not, there's a lot of people doing really good work without doing any strength training or any mobility work. I would just say that there's a time limit to that. You know, eventually one year it's going to change for that person. So the, the commitment needs to become routine and it needs to be consistent and it needs to be accessible. It cannot be put upon. Um, the people that have experienced the most success with my programs um, have actually had conversations with their coaches or, where they have brought back some of the volume. Uh, I think we know more now. I mean, this your show is so good about sharing such good information. We don't need huge as much volume as we thought we did. Um, so pulling some of that time uh, from maybe a three and a half hour ride and make it a 310 and finish up with a strength session, a mobility and strength session, that athlete would probably feel better than the 330, you know? So leading into races and building and developing the aerobic system and the, the anaerobic system and, and all of the systems, you know, I think, I think people overtrain a little bit much and there should be time allocated. I think coaches need to, to, I, I, I 
I don't feel like we're there yet. You know, it's one of those questions that I, I put out and I would put out them now we need to dialogue between people who do what I do and, and swim bike run coaches to really align maybe a little bit and trust each other a little bit more. I think people from my, my genre of coaching um, maybe need to, to keep getting smarter and share our ideas. That's why I was so happy that Lucy shared the platform on the platform that she has, that there's more to this, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and I think also when it comes to fitting it into busy schedules, there's, um, it's, there's a responsibility on everybody involved from the athlete to the triathlon coach, to the strength coach, to come up with solutions that work good enough even if it's not perfect like doing it at home not going to the gym like figuring out what is the minimal uh effective equipment uh set that you need to have at home to be able to do the the work that you need to do and to say injury free it might not be perfect it might not be everything you had in a gym but it can be good enough uh and then if you then end up doing it consistently then that's a lot better than aiming to go to the gym, but not having time. So you miss half of your sessions. Exactly. And I think the relationship between the strength coaches and the, the sport coaches will get stronger as strength coaches start to realize you can, you don't get to, this is not the glory. You know, the glory is, is to the sport coach and to the, the athlete. Um, that's where the training needs to, to, well, to lie. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I, mean, I, th- I think, I think, any, I think any coach, no matter what, what it is or any support person has to realize that they are a very small part of uh, whatever the athlete is yes. doing, like the athlete is doing the work and uh, performing yeah. on race day. Um, yeah. And I'm going to get back to that, actually the home-based uh, gym, but before that, um, are there any things that you would uh, do differently or adjust depending on age and sex of the athlete? Yeah, definitely. Um, the hormonal profile. Uh, so we can go just from the it, athletes in their twenties don't need as much athletes in their thirties. We need to make sure that the, there is an amazing skill set in place to get under heavy load, but they don't need as much heavy load. We're only preparing them for the next decade. So going into the 40s, athletes should be very comfortable deadlifting, front squatting, pulling, and rowing, and maybe a single arm shoulder press. In your 40s, you have to be able to get under load, both males and females. Once you get over 50, you want to accept the fact that if you want to be a really healthy 80-year-old, you better have strength training as a really big part of your program in your life and you better find some joy in it. And if you're not having fun, then find a different program because, um, there's some strength coaches that love to just stress you out and put you in, in compromising, challenging situations every single session. And then there's some of us that are just like, okay, three times a year, I'm going to put you in those situations, you know? So I think that, uh, in our fifties, we have to have, now we're in love with it. And then on our sixties and seventies, um, we got to keep it going because that's that's so important. Dr. Peter Atia, um, one of the just a, a brilliant uh, longevity doc, he he says he talks about the marginal decade, and even with Taylor, she's she's 24. You know, she's she's really living in the moment. I, as one of her teammates, somebody on her team, I'm already thinking about what what's Taylor going to be like when she's 30. Like, how can I help prepare her for that next decade? 
But Dr. Atia talks about the marginal decade. And for those of us that are in our 50s, we really want to be thinking about our final decade of life. And for me, that's kind of falling between 90 and 100. I'm probably going to check out somewhere in there. And I want those years to be great. And so everything that I'm choosing to do right now is is about those years being great. And yeah, I want to be great in my next race and I want to get on a podium, but I also don't want to do things that'll take that, you know, put me under risk. Like if I blow a disc out of my back or, or, or tear a labrum in my hip or, or blow a shoulder out from doing CrossFit, like that's going to affect my marginal decade. So we could definitely dig into menopause and females and their need for heavy load, but it's exactly the same as men as they go into challenging times with testosterone later in life as well. So I do believe everyone needs to know the lifts that they want to get under heavy load. They need to have high skill, good core strength, a great hip hinge, um, and a great state of mind that they actually think it's fun. If you can give uh, three exercises that the listeners, especially those that are uh, in, let's say, 40 years and, and above categories, what would and three exercises that would be pretty achievable for most people to learn with some practice, maybe with some with some feedback? What what would you say are the loaded exercises that they should put in their repertoire? The first one, and this comes before a hex bar deadlift, is a goblet squat, a front front squat, because that has a high core activation ask on the body. So your ability to hold weight right on your sternum. Um, is really important. And you can do that from a parallel stance or a split stance. Um, so the goblet squat is my go-to starting point. Uh, the second one would be probably the hex bar or the straight bar deadlift. I love deadlifting. Um, and then the third one is probably going to be a single arm bent over row. So you need to, and that can be supported. That can be on a bench that can be putting an arm up on the wall, or it can be unsupported that your body is, is holding you in space. So Those are probably my three go-to exercises for heavier loads. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, then moving on to the home-based uh, strength training questions that I had. Um, yeah. First of all, just a general question on how well do you think that a home-based strength training program, and this is assuming you don't have a fully equipped gym at home, how well can that um, work to maybe not completely replace, but well, Yeah, I guess replace the work you could do in a gym. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of um, dial a dumbbells these days. Um, a, a power block is called. So you can get anywhere from five pound dumbbell to a 55 pound dumbbell in one handle. Yep. And uh, I, I have a set of dumbbells called MX30 because mine only go up to 30. Because uh, I actually believe, I do believe that most people should have a relationship with a gym because variability is really important to the body. But at, if I have a home gym, because I don't always have time to go to the gym and I own it. So it's, <laughs> it, if I don't get there, like nobody's getting there. But the biggest thing is um, at home, the dial a dumbbell, the, the compact power block is a really great tool because it doesn't take up much space. Um, I do have a hex bar at home and that has been a good investment. And once people have been with me for a couple of years, um, I do suggest that they get a hex bar and some bumper plates for the house. Um, so Paula and Eric are just, I'm sending them a list. Um, they have kettlebells, dumbbells, they have mini bands, the little small loop bands, 
that are used for activation. They have long bands with handles. And then this being our third year, I think it's time for them to get a hex bar at the house. Um, so when you get off your, your bike trainer or you get off the treadmill after a hard session, they can incorporate uh, a heavy deadlift. They're both healthy and um, they, that will serve them well. So, but it's, it's, you don't need to get that right away. I, yeah. I do think a, a goblet squat at home is terrific. So um, I also use a tool called a Viper, um, V-I-P-R, V-I-P-R, Viper, um, that stands for Vitality Performance and Rejuvenation. And then they stuck the I in there because it makes sense. But uh, ViperPro.com or Viper.com, people can see what that is. It's a, it's a weighted cylinder. And a lot of times on the, the social media, people will see me and my athletes with a Viper. And that's just a fun tool that doesn't feel like weights, but it is. So we're using load to activate the body in different ways and movement, loaded movement training, we call it. So, so yeah, I think home dumbbells, mini bands, long bands with handles, um, a hex bar eventually, if you really start using your stuff a lot. And, um, and then I have a mobile board, mobileboard.com. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, I got one of those um, adjustable kettlebells during the pandemic and it's, it's, Perfect. Probably the best purchase that I've done in many, many years. It, I use it all the time. And I didn't, uh, yeah, mine goes up to 40, which is pretty good. Uh, I yeah, should probably perfect. probably get one that goes up to 55. That could be good for some some exercises. Uh, I didn't actually know that you could get them because I haven't seen them around too much, but not, not that I've been looking particularly. But yeah, that's that's cool to hear that they go go as high another thing that i got that i really love is a door anchor and uh just for attaching all of your bands so you can do various exercises i think that's that's been a brilliant addition as well i agree and uh what else did i have here um yeah how would you adapt the strength training program if you have an athlete that trains at home exclusively and let's say in this case they maybe they don't have they do have the kettlebells but they don't have that uh hex bar uh, so what are the changes you would make? Yeah, we just we just use a lot more single leg challenges. I mean, we're going to get out of bilateral loading quite quickly with most athletes anyway. So unilateral loading, single leg work, whether it's a skater squat, rear foot elevated squat, also known as Bulgarian split squat. Um, we do a lot of single leg work so that we don't need hundreds of pounds of load. Um, so Imogene will be an interesting one because we're just getting started. Um, she's going to do a lot of single leg work. Um, I would imagine that maybe next year, this time she'll need to get under bigger load. And if she progresses well in these next few weeks, we'll probably get her into the gym, but she's willing to go to the gym. You know, if, if you can show, and I think I get asked this a lot, like how do you get people to engage uh, with a strength training program and how do you get them to stay there? You need to show an athlete change. They need to feel change in their running or in their riding in the first two weeks of any program, because once they feel that they're going to keep coming back. And so then if the ask is kind of inconvenient, I need you to go to a gym, (laughs) they're going to go because they trust the process. And there is a point where you, you, you need to, perhaps go to the gym. But some athletes, I mean, Mikhail, that's one of those things that if they're progressing as an athlete and they're one of the best in their podium, they're hitting podiums, 
then I'd say they're probably strong enough. You know, building more strength in that athlete that is achieving, progressing, and doing well, and they're healthy. We don't, we just need to stay out of the way of that body getting better because that body is doing really well. So that's where the arrogance of, of strength coaches sometimes, and I, I, I think I might just be old enough to have learned if all those things are in place, stay out of the way. Don't cause a problem where there isn't one. Yeah. And uh, one final question uh, that your comment about progressing the work with Imogen to maybe go, yeah, uh, next year. How how much do you track? How carefully do you track the like loads that they that athletes lift? Is that something that is important to you and that the athletes keep track of? Or yeah, where where do you sit on that? I definitely keep track of it. Um, but it's not, it's not a driving influence in the training. I keep track of it to see how comfortable they are under load. I, if I have a question, my biggest question will be to their strength, to their sport coach. Are you happy with where they are on the bike? And are we happy with how fast they can run? Those are the only questions that really need to be answered. And if the coach says, no, I need her stronger on the bike, then I'm going to start skewing a little bit more into my side of trying to help that athlete become stronger in their lower body and their upper body. As I mentioned earlier, that's not to be ignored in it with a triathlete. So if the general progression on the bicycle is not coming along at the pace that the coach might like, I have had coaches in the past say, I need this athlete to be stronger so that they can really challenge themselves in these sessions. Um, then I have to up, the ask. And that might mean that the coach needs to back off some of the volume to give me some energy from that athlete to be able to use in the strength training room. And if they back, if they have to trust that the volume, you know, there won't be a deficit of aerobic capacity because of what we're doing in the strength training area. There's been just so much research, so much studies on concurrent training. Um, I believe it. I don't think you can build both at the same time, which is why I stay back and let the sport progress it, uh, as it should until it's not enough. Like if, if that an athlete anymore cannot sit in a position where they cannot make money or even most of us, you know, age groupers, if we're not progressing, if that's our goal, um, or if we're in pain, then we need to make some, there needs to be some shifts, you know? So if you're training swim, bike, run, swim, bike, run, and you're an age grouper and your back hurts all the time, we need to back off the swim bike run training and give you a better body that can handle the training. More training won't make you faster yeah. if you hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I think there's, there's a tremendous amount of balance to the whole experience of having a good time in sport. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that's a brilliant note to end the strength and conditioning discussion, but let's finish with the rapid fire questions. And well, this is a new set of questions because you already answered the original ones in the previous uh, interview we did. Uh, so the first question is, what's your favorite place to train? My favorite place to train is the big island of Hawaii. And for um, a couple different reasons. I just got to give that because A, I think Boulder is probably the best place to train, Boulder, Colorado. Um, because the mountains and the riding are so exquisite, but I live here. So I can mentally and emotionally check out when I'm on the big Island and just enjoy the warm Hawaiian breezes and the queen K riding is great and the ocean to swim in. So 
for me, that's magic. And uh, what is a bucket list race or event that you would want to do? Oh, I, I, I thought about this. I, I would want to do Malulaba again. And I think I want to do Nice again. Um, those were both very different courses, but both world championship experiences that were just amazing experiences in my life. And I prepared all year for both of them. And I think I just want to do over uh, either one of those. Nice was amazing. I was there. Yeah, I think yeah. that was definitely very worthy of a world championship race. And, oh, it's uh, brilliant. And if, if you could acquire expert level in any skill in the world for yourself in an instant, what would it be? Well, I'm going to say that in an instant, if I could be Lawrence Van Lingen, I would be him in an instant. Lawrence is a doctor of chiropractic who can understand uh, the joint positions and where the body sits relative as a, in the skeleton. But he is a master of fascial work and the understanding how fascia can influence the skeleton. And um, I just find him right now to be so brilliant and thoughtful and Uh, so I would want to be able to, to do that kind of hands-on uh, fascial uh, manipulation that would just open an athlete up so much and give them so much access to their brilliance. Yeah, right. And uh, finally, where can uh, listeners find you and, and your work? I think the best place is to start with my website. It's ecfitstrength.com. Um, that that kind of leads you into everything all the ecosystems of the programs available of um, I think the one that I'm most pr proud of that has really been developing over the last couple of years is my premium group. Um, athletes love training peaks or, or, um, or today's plan or whatever modality they use for their training calendars. I work in training peaks right now, but I'm going to expand a little bit into uh, um, final surge and today's plan as well. But the biggest thing is when the strength program is on their, their training peaks, they're more likely to do it. So in my premium plan, I lay out a whole week of training for all of my athletes. Um, and there's two live sessions, uh, a week. So they're always getting access to the most, the most current, uh, kind of training that we're, we're focusing on mobility. I also have a couple of coaches working with me and doctors working with me to help not only answer questions, but be available for my premium group. So that group is really taking on a personality of, really engaged high-performance mindset people, CEOs, uh, high-performance moms, people who want to run fast marathons um, have really started uh, gravitating towards my my group. So um, in with this this podcast, if it's okay with you, I'd love to offer anybody that wants to try premium for 30 days and just have that full experience. Um, they could do that and we'll, we can put a code or a link yeah, in we'll your show that. notes. Yeah, we'll do that. We can sort out the details and I'll put it in your show notes. Yeah, so that and you can do that anywhere. And even if the live workouts don't work because you live in Poland or somewhere, you can always uh, just register for it and do it whenever it's good for you. So yeah, so, sounds brilliant. Right, thank you so much, Erin. Uh, this has been a blast. I really enjoyed it, and as usual, lots of learning from you. Uh, so yeah, thank you. On thank you, all of the listeners as well. So excited for the grand final this weekend and bring on the next year. Let's go. Yeah, it will all be done when, when the listeners hear this, but uh, we have yeah. that to look forward to in a oh. few days. <laughs> okay, good. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and you can find all the links for this episode in the episode description on your podcast app and in the show notes. Remember to take the That Triathlon Show listener survey, as I mentioned at the intro of this episode. Also remember, as Erin said in the episode, she's offering 30 days uh, free uh, trial of her Easy Fit uh, On Demand Premium. So definitely, if you enjoyed Erin's uh, injury here, go and check it out, give it a try and uh, see if it is for you. Uh, we'll of course have Erin's uh, YouTube channel as well and Instagram and website and her previous episode on the podcast which was in number 137 and I have linked to the entire strength training episode archive as well where you can find all of the episodes I've done related to strength training. Next Monday, we have another repeat guest coming on, which is Dan Bigham. We'll discuss all the details about his World Hour record that was uh, later broken by Filippo Ganna, but he was the World Hour record holder for a while there. And we'll discuss the training and testing that he did in preparation for it. And of course, with Dan on the podcast, we go deep into a lot of different aerodynamics topics and uh, what's working now from everything that he's seeing uh, with the work that he's doing in that field. And before we finish, I also want to remind you to check out our training camp in Mallorca at the end of March. You can find all the information on scientifictriathlon.com and if you have questions or want to register, you can email me directly. Uh, the training camp on Mallorca will be a fantastic week of training. You'll get the chance to come and train a lot with a bunch of like-minded people, a bunch of coaches, uh, get to interact with uh, athletes and coaches and talk triathlon, talk shop and uh, build some great fitness ahead of your 2023 season. Uh, it is a paradise for cycling and uh, if you haven't been to Mallorca, it's definitely a bucket list destination that any cyclists and triathletes should go to at least once in their life to experience the cycling there so why not come and do it with us in march of 2023 finally big thanks to our sponsors roca that you can find on roca.com check out their wetsuits tri suits swimskins goggles and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day wear to extreme action sports use the promo code that you can get on roca.com for slash tts to get 20 percent off your entire roca order and thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days and get the special Senate Plus DTS bundle, including the Swim Trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesimtrainer.com for slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.